0: Listener production. It made me go to uh, you know use the old Latin term "carpe diem," you know seize the day, and it made me much more. Uh, it sounds strange, much more relaxed, because if you think your life is going to end, which I did, every day's a bonus.
1: Prime Minister Anthony Albanese is a man motivated by love and hope. Lessons he learnt from his single mum, Mary growing up in a council unit in Camperdown. Our PM is passionate about the Indigenous voice to Parliament. Now, I am going to be voting yes. I'm telling you that. I am biased in this interview, but I wanted to say it up front. I am a yes voter. I do understand, though, that many of you are still undecided and have many questions. So in this chat with our Prime Minister, he talks about why a yes vote is important, but we also cover a lot more. We talk about finding love, how your life can change in an instant, and the surprising reason why being a Prime Minister isn't as stressful for him as you might think. Now this was a real highlight for me, this chat that you're about to listen to. I hope you love it as much as I love
0: doing it. And this is the new studio. This is.
1: And you are our very first guest in our brand new studios. It's,
0: it's nice. Yeah, yeah. Good. It's great. Curtains and all.
1: Yeah. Well, the sparkle. <laughs> we brought it for you, Prime Minister. <laughs> well, welcome to the Jethro Big Talk Show.
0: Thanks for having us on. Great to be here.
1: It's a treat to talk with you. I've been busting to have you on my podcast for such a long time. I am a fan. I'm going to say that from the outset. Oh,
0: very kind of you.
1: Yeah, I am. And also, what I want to declare too to our listeners is I'm going to be voting yes. Good. But what breaks my heart a little bit is that we look at the recent poll results and for many Australians, they're saying they're going to vote no. No. The message, Prime Minister, doesn't seem to be getting across about the importance of the yes vote. Why do you think it's hard for people to really say yes? Well, the history of
0: referendums in Australia is so hard. There's been eight out of 44 have succeeded. But the thing is about something new, and this is a really simple proposition. That's the first thing I want to say. All it does is recognise... Indigenous people in our constitution recognise our history didn't begin in 1788. It goes back 65,000 years. And I think most people would recognise that that should be a source of pride and we should recognise it. So there's a tick for that. And Indigenous people themselves have said, the way that we want to be recognised is with something that provides a bit of substance. We want to be listened to. And that's what a voice is, just an advisory body. It won't change the way that government operates. It won't change the way that parliament operates. But it will enable Indigenous people to be heard. And why is that important? Because when we listen to people who are directly affected by an issue, you get better outcomes. So to me, it's just good manners. It's common sense. It's a very modest request, really. It's a hand of friendship out, just asking for us to join it. And yesterday, I had the enormous privilege of walking with the great Michael Long, who had walked from Melbourne to Canberra. And to me, that was a real analogy. He'd walked a long way. I'm not sure how far Melbourne to Canberra is, but many hundreds of kilometres. And he and other Indigenous Australians are just asking Australians to take a few short steps to join with them
1: to walk together. As you say, though, people are thinking, oh, it's going to mean extra power and all of these sorts of things because there's question marks, there's fear around yeah. it. How can we get through that fear?
0: Well, I think with hope and love, you know, anything new requires a step forward without certainty. When I walked in a studio, I didn't know what it was going to look like. You know, if I was scared of it, if I thought someone might be behind and jump out, or you'd never go anywhere. And that is why fear can be a powerful emotion, and particularly when it is combined with some of the misinformation out there. The truth is that this will not change the lives directly of non Indigenous Australians at all. It's just giving some small proportion, 3% of Australians who are Indigenous, the opportunity to be heard. And it's like any change, there's always been fear campaigns. There were fear campaigns about the apology. And guess what? The whole country was lifted up. It didn't result in anyone's backyards being taken. No one had to pay any new taxes. There was no negative. And for marriage equality... We heard that that would undermine the marriage of men and women, that that would somehow reduce its importance. Well, I don't know, but I haven't seen any evidence that any of that fear campaign has resulted in anything at all. You can give a group of people more rights without taking anything from others, and that's what this does. This is all upside, no downside. And the words, this has come from Indigenous Australians themselves. That's the other really important thing to remember. This isn't something that's come from politicians. This is something that a process was set up by Tony Abbott, indeed, that went to Uluru in 2017, so six years ago. Indigenous Australians gathered 250 people from all parts of the southern sky, as the Uluru Statement says, for what is a really gracious request. And the Uluru Statement speaks about overcoming the torment of powerlessness. And it says in 1967, we were counted. In 2017, 50 years later, we seek to be heard. And we ask all Australians to walk with us on this journey. The other point I think is that For 122 years, with the best of intentions in most cases, we have done things either to or for Indigenous Australians from Canberra. This is an opportunity to do things with Indigenous Australians and you are actually, it's not like there hasn't been a lot of money spent, there has been, but it hasn't achieved the results. So this is actually a fiscally conservative policy as well. (laughs) Uh, You can save money if you're not wasting money, if you're actually listening and acting on things that work and that's why it's so important.
1: You talk about also hope and love and the importance of that. You know, listening to you talk about the voice, you have got emotional over time, which is so understandable. A number of people I've had on the podcast from Chanel Contus, Keith Urban, they talk about the importance of teaching boys to cry. The world would be a better place if we could do that. For you, when was the first time you cried?
0: Oh, I cry all the time. I'm a very emotional person, and I grew up, as you know, Jess, just me and mum. My mum was a very emotional person as well. Uh, She had a, a much tougher life than I've had. And so I do get emotional about things. I care about issues. I think what we do is important. There is a sense of history here and an opportunity to make a difference. And I look at Indigenous Australians. There was a discussion I had at one stage with someone who is not on board the yes case, and they were like, why don't you just Put it off, one of uh, politicians. Where I was trying desperately to get Peter Dutton and to get bipartisan support because I think this should be above politics, as in 1967 it was. And they said, "Why don't you just, you know, defer it?" And I looked at the people in the other room waiting—people like Marcia Langton and Tom Karmer, the Senior Australian of the Year, Arnie Pat Anderson. These are people who spent their lives struggling for recognition and who, in the lead-up to 2017, there was a long period. John Howard said that recognition was important, was unfinished business in our constitution back in 2007. This has been a long journey. Six years after the Uluru Statement, you know, when were we going to have a vote? In 2019 and 2016, the governments that were elected said they'd have a vote on recognition. And I said, how long can people wait? How long can people spend campaigning for reconciliation before we take that short step? And so for me, I find people like that incredibly inspirational. Aunty Pat Anderson's wonderful, wonderful person. Luidra Donoghue, Linda Burney, my friend, who has had such a tough life and overcome real trauma in her life and she just has so much love and compassion for people.
1: To be generous of heart and spirit, I think, is something to absolutely marvel at and, as you say, be inspired by. For you, I've spoken to some friends of yours and they've told me that you have three great faiths in your life and that is the rabidos
0: Indeed, <laughs> the
1: Catholic Church, yes, and the Labour Party. When was the last time you prayed? Do you pray?
0: I do. I do so privately. I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't make a big fuss about it. But I went to St Mary's Cathedral to school, and so I have, in part, I think that Catholic social justice position is one of the things that is driving. My support for constitutional recognition, it was something that uh, the way that I was raised and something that was a part of faith was caring for groups of people who were disadvantaged, whether it was internationally through Project Compassion and by giving things up for Lent or whether it be Indigenous Australians as well. And of course, it being in the inner city of Sydney, what would happen as well? And I I had Indigenous friends growing up, in part because of the South Sydney connection at Redfern Oval, but also a lot of the kids uh, would go to St Mary's. There was uh, a number of Indigenous students there and it wasn't a big deal in those days. And we've come so far. There was no acknowledgement of country or welcome to country there certainly weren't Indigenous All-Stars games. There wasn't uh, the presence of the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander flags. We have come a long way, and that's why I hope that Australians do vote yes. And it's interesting that Peter Dutton is now saying if people vote no, and then if he's elected Prime Minister, we'll have another referendum. I mean, how long does this go for? Uh, let's just get it done.
1: It's a once-in-a-generation opportunity, and as you say, we need to seize that. Now, the rabbitos you love them. And also, it helped you find love recently, the rabbites, <laughs> yeah. didn't it? Tell us it that did. story.
0: It did. Well, I, I am very passionate about South, and I was, I was on the board in the 1990s, and then we got kicked out of the comp, and we fought our way back with demonstrations, marches in the streets, I was a part of that. I was a board member then. And uh, then, of course, we had more success as a club and finally won a comp in 2014 after 43 years of not having that success. And so my marriage to Carmel was a fantastic relationship. We still have a a good relationship and we have, of course, a, a beautiful son who's 22 but that marriage ended on New Year's Day in 2019. Carmel made a decision that she wanted a different direction in her life and I, I had to come to terms with that and, and, how and respect did you that. Though,
1: in the sense of you're a political fixer, you sort things out on the national stage and then when something happens like that in your personal life and for many people listening as well, they have these bolts from the blue in their lives and think... How do I get through this?
0: Yeah, it was a shock. And for me, uh, because I didn't see it coming, there wasn't any other issues (laughs) and a decision being made. Nathan had turned 18 in December, just a few weeks earlier. I went overseas in March for a couple of weeks by myself, went to London and to Lisbon. And that really helped just having me time. And I had to come to not try to understand it, but to accept it, and I just had to come to that position, and uh, once I, I did that, of course, I came back and I focused on the election campaign, I had to decide whether I'd run again, and what direction I'd take in my life, and so I ran again in May, fully expecting that we would win that election, and of course, we didn't. And so I became Labour leader. Uh, That was uh, obviously a, a big focus and that takes up a lot of time. And then at the end of 2019, I was at a function in Melbourne and the person introducing me sledged me for being a South Sydney supporter, said he's a great guy, terrific, but he's just got this one failing. And there's this thing about random South guy. Where wherever you go, like if you watch a Wimbledon tennis final or, or you watch a baseball game in the US, somehow on TV, there's always someone in the background with a South Sydney jumper on at the Matildas game. So <laughs> I saw South Sydney jumpers. It's a strange phenomenon. We're, we're strange people, no, South but Sydney you're people. You're passionate people. We, we, are, we are. We are. We are. We survive on, on. We don't have a leagues club. We just have merch. <laughs> That keeps us going, which
1: travels the world. It
0: does travel the world, and so I did a shout out. There's always a random South guy here in the room, and a woman shouted out at this event. um, Yeah, up the rabbit holes, and I went round the tables as you do at events, and uh, I met Jody, who's now my partner. And I was very lucky that we found each other. It turned out she actually lived in my electorate, not in, uh, not in Melbourne. She was just there. And didn't with she her work. slide
1: into your DMs?
0: Uh, she did send me a little, little message. And I love my, that. My DMs. I love that she did that. Yeah, yeah, she did, just saying, you know, hi, nice to meet you. And then I was at another event a couple of weeks later, and she was there again. Did she plan it? Well, she says no for her work. <laughs> uh, she worked for a superannuation fund at the time, and so she was there again. And then we caught up for a drink at Young Henry's in Newtown there on a Friday afternoon, and we just got on incredibly well. And now we're we're together, and I'm I, I'm very happy.
1: And also I found it really touching to read for her. It was when you went through that terrible car accident that she really decided or discovered, I love this man. Yeah, well, it was
0: she... she was ar- sort of the silver lining. She arrived at the scene where I was, I think I was probably still stuck in the car when, uh, when she arrived. The car was a complete write-off. And that was uh, an important moment in my life too, we in Hill Street, Marrickville, which is self-describing uh, what, what it is. I was going up, a car was going down, a Range Rover, and went on the wrong side of the road. A young driver, not paying attention, and literally head on and sort of hit the front corner. And the car worked as it should. New technology all crumpled in uh, to take some of the impact. But I was very lucky. Time can go slow.
1: And what was that like?
0: It's funny, it sounds strange, but it wasn't scary. It was just, oh, okay, so this is it. it. It seemed like a long time. It was probably, you know, two seconds, but it was uh, bracing for the for the impact. There was nothing I could do that's uh, one lane up with parked cars on either side each way. So I adjusted to the extent that I could, but I wasn't going to avoid the crash. And then it was afterwards, okay, I'm still here. But I was I was pretty damaged and ended up at uh, Royal Prince Alfred Hospital. Big shout out to their uh, They're nurses, wonderful. Doctors and Aren't staff. they amazing? They were, they were just fantastic. And of course I worry about spinal damage and all of that. So they were very, very careful in terms of the movement. Of me, I did have damage to some of my uh, my back, spine and neck and all the sort of injuries that you'd expect, but I was essentially very lucky.
1: I mean, you hear the saying, my life flash before my eyes. Did that happen for you at all or was there a moment of thinking, oh, is this it? No. I haven't done enough for...
0: No, it was just like this is how it ends. It was... Um, yeah, it was a, a an extraordinary experience. Unfortunately, I've had three. Three, that's my third major accident. But the other two weren't like that. There wasn't, I hadn't had that experience of seeing a, something about to happen uh, to you. But it was just very almost matter of fact, if that makes sense, of this is how it ends. And a surprise almost that I was still conscious afterwards and really looking to see if I was still in one piece, literally, because it was, it was a massive collision. They heard it. It was very close to my home. My neighbours heard it half a K away, like it was a bang.
1: And as Jody has said too, seeing that wreckage, she was terrified that you had died.
0: Yeah, well, people came. I was very lucky there was a, a nurse off-duty nurse who later on, unbelievably, I saw at RPA, who came across and made sure that you know no one tried to move me, and you know that I told me to stay still until the paramedics came, etc. And uh, shooed people away. She was fantastic. So she was fearsome. Uh, she was great. <laughs> she got a, the largest bunch of flowers you've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> uh some uh, weeks later when I tracked her down just to say thank you. But that's what so many people just do fantastic things. People are essentially good people. And I have faith in humanity, which is one of the reasons why I have faith that people will uh, vote yes on October 14.
1: After going through that accident, what sort of changes did you make to your life? I made...
0: Well, what it took me, it took me a, a while. And the truth is, I was more damaged than I was letting on. Politics is a really tough game, and people were looking for, for signs of you know, ongoing damage. Uh, so I remember there was, there was a press conference I did where first I did a press conference outside the hospital where it was completely a mad thing to do. And I I went outside because the press were like, they were staking out the hospital 24 hours. So I was like, oh, you know, I'll go and do a proof of life video almost. So I went out and I began the press conference by saying, oh, look, I don't know how this is going to go because I'm on serious painkillers here. And I I watched it afterwards because I had... You know, half an hour later, I couldn't have told you exactly the details of what I'd said. But there was a press comment weeks later where I got really woozy. Still, like, I had ongoing, you know, I'd had concussion and, and everything. But I fully recovered, essentially, um, was, uh, was fortunate. But it made me go to, uh, you know, use the old Latin term, carpe diem, you know, seize the day. So I was going to have a uh, reshuffle, and I made it much more radical than I was going to. And it made me much more, uh, it sounds strange, much more relaxed. Because if you think your life is going to end, which I did, every day's a bonus. And I was determined to make sure that in the reshuffle, I did things that you know, didn't please everyone, but, I was determined to do what I thought was necessary to put in place in the run-up to the election and the reshuffle I did was the last one uh, that I'd done because someone had stood down so I needed to do something. Uh, So it was more radical than I was uh, intending before the accident Uh, and I also, I think, was uh, more relaxed. So the, the pandemic, of course was a difficult time to be opposition leader. It required bipartisanship. It required us to put aside uh, political issues and the the country was in a crisis. And I was under some pressure from people who were like, oh, no, you've got to come out and differentiate or do something more. You know, you're being too quiet, if, if you like. And I was like, no, no, I'm just doing the right thing. I do the right thing. And I've got a plan. Here's what the plan is. We're sticking to it. I used to say kick with the wind, to use an AFL term, kick with the wind in the last quarter is really important. And that's the plan we stuck to. And, of course, we won majority government. So I think that approach that I had was in part impacted when I look back by the accident and by wanting to live every day and to be basically pretty chilled about it all uh, when all around you people are panicking, you know, stay, stay firm.
1: It's such a good lesson, isn't it? I'm a very passionate advocate for mental health and having gone through postnatal depression myself and also different times of my life having down times, I wonder for you, have there been moments in your life, I mean, I'm sure there have been, given the statistics, we know how much mental illness impacts on people, where you've been depressed
0: or anxious or down? I'm pretty up as a person. But even if you are up, I think think you you can be down. Of course, and there are times where things are difficult. I think in my job as well, when some of the personal attacks that come on. It's like, oh, really? You know, we're talking uh, as I entered the studio about my itinerary in the last week, which has consisted of, you know, from Canberra to Jakarta to Manila to Delhi, back to Canberra to Question Time. And when you will then have people go, oh, you know, flying around the luxury (laughs) and it's like, oh, really? It's exhausting. Uh, It's completely exhausting. And takes a toll. But by and large, you know, that's just part of the deal. And I regard it as an incredible privilege having the high office that I do. It's not something I anticipated. In 2013, I ran for the leader of the Labor Party when when we lost. I'd been Deputy Prime Minister and it took me a couple of weeks to enter the field. I contested against uh, Bill Shorten and... In part, what was going on there was I wasn't sure that in order to be Prime Minister and in order to lead a major party, you didn't have that sense of destiny. Now, I wasn't someone who went into politics thinking I'm going to be the leader. I just didn't think that was on my agenda. I wanted to make a contribution. I wanted to be the Environment Minister. Uh, I quite liked doing the tactic stuff in the parliament, so I became leader of the house, I enjoyed being the infrastructure minister, but I didn't have that sense of destiny that some people have and that's fine, that's not a criticism, it's just I wasn't sure that you had to have it. But I think me not having it is a plus as well, it means I am less anxious, I'm less worried about some of the negatives that Come with it, you know. You go up and you go down. Polls go up and down. You get criticism, you get praise. You just got to ride with it. I think not having that sense of destiny, or you know, I was born to be prime minister, has really helped to just be to do chilled, what you need to do, do what I need to do without fear. Like there are some people who've said to me, um, "Gee, you know, it's a risk having a referendum." which it is, there hasn't been one this century. And I say, well, if not now, when? And if not me, who's going to do it? So, of course, it's a risk, and that's one of the things that is driving, I think, some of the opposition, and some of them have said it very explicitly, uh, that they see it as an opportunity to damage me or damage the government by campaigning for no, which is unfortunate, because it's not about me or the government It's actually about something... Far bigger. It's far bigger. It's about who we are as a country and whether we will wake up on October 15, as we did after the apology, and feel better about ourselves and feel a bigger country, an enlarged country, or whether we'll shrink in on ourselves and be frightened of making a change. We need to do better. Of course we do. We need to do better always. And if you're not going forward... What are you You're doing going backwards?
1: Just finally, where are you happiest? Where is your happy place?
0: Oh, gee, I think I'm happiest when I'm with people around me who I love, and that's not just family, but it's friends as well. i'm I'm really blessed to have a group of people who have been with me on my personal journey and I've been on their journey. As well, so I'm very close to people like uh, Penny Wong, and Mark Butler, and Richard Miles, and so many others of my colleagues. But my chief of staff, Tim Gartrell, started with me in 1996.
1: Because I must Still say, we're. your team—they're very laid back. So I think they obviously—it's a great team. Yes, it's I, not. I'm there's blessed. no
0: angst. I'm blessed. It is such a good cabinet and it's working together with a sense of purpose, you know, whether it's uh, Berkey running the parliament, whether it be people with their portfolios. Katie Gallagher is just amazing. Uh, She runs the business in the Senate. But it's just a fantastic team, and there is a team approach, and there's that sense of purpose Behind the government, that's so important.
1: And would Toto be there too? Oh, what absolutely.
0: about Toto? Toto? Your dog. Toto, Toto gives me enormous pleasure <laughs> because uh, it is fantastic when, after no matter how hard the day and no matter what happens, you get this unbelievably happy embrace of, uh, of the pooch. And she's a very loving dog. And one of my favourite songs is by the Fove, so Melbourne band called Dogs Are The Best People. And put one of the lines is about unconditional love. And that is what dogs give you. So I'm a big, big dogs fan. And a happy place is just taking Toto for a walk or just, you know, her having a run is just a great privilege. And I love sport. I am happy but sometimes depressed, it must be said. Recently, the back half of the season for South. Uh, But
1: (laughs) There's always next year. (laughs)
0: Indeed. But AFL, uh, tennis, I love all of that. I still play competition tennis in the Sydney Badge Comp for Marrickville. There are 14 rounds in the comp. I made four or five this year. And it's quite funny watching the reaction when sort of I rock up people don't quite expect. The last away game we had was at Kalara and they were very welcoming. They had a little ribbon. They'd uh, done some renovations on their clubhouse. They had a little ribbon for me to cut. (laughs) Um, It's not Wimbledon. It's a bit of fun. But the great thing about it is, speaking about mental health, I find that one of the things that I've got to do for my mental health is to clock out because otherwise you're thinking about it all the time. So for me, tennis, and in the the badge comp we play, you play four sets. So you play for about two and a half to three hours, nonstop doubles, and you can't think of anything else except for the ball going over (laughs) uh, over the net between the lines. It's a very simple game, pretty simple game. But for that time, your phone's not on, you're not thinking about anything except what's happening on the court and that for me is really important, my escape for my own uh, mental health. I do it. People have been surprised when when I became uh, Prime Minister last year, it was halfway through the comp and they said, oh, well, that's it. you won't be able to continue and I said, why not? And I'm so glad that I have and that they're lovely. They accommodate me uh, when I can make it, which, as I said, I think was four out of 14 this year. You know, they'll make sure that I can play at my convenience, which is great. It's a great local little club owned by the council, which is terrific there.
1: Prime Minister, thank you so much for your time.
0: Thanks so much, Jess. has been great to have a chat.
1: Oh, I love it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Well... What a man. I mean, you know how I feel about him. You know that I'm voting yes. I've said that up front. But I thought there were some really fascinating insights that our Prime Minister shared with us about his life, how going through that car accident really changed the way he approached things, how much more relaxed he is about his fearlessness and also the fact that... He didn't have that sense of destiny that he was bound to be Prime Minister and how freeing that was. So for me and for my producer, Nick, this has been a real moment for us to be able to share this conversation with you. So thank you for coming along with us in the ride and for sharing this real high point with us. Now, as you know, on October fourteen. It is referendum day. You are not going to be asked to vote for a political party or for a person. You're being asked to vote for an idea. To say yes to an invitation that comes directly from Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people themselves, not politicians. It has been decades in the making. If you still have questions and you're undecided, and I'm sure many of you still do, please head to our show notes where we have some links there that have plenty more information for you. Now, for more big conversations like this, subscribe and follow the Jess Big Talk Show podcast. It means you'll stay up to date with all of my special guests. And if there's someone you know who you think would enjoy this conversation, it is really easy to share with them. Just tap the three dots on the top right-hand side of your phone screen and then you pass it along. How easy is that? Share the love, share the conversations, knowledge is power. And remember, in the meantime, have a great day. The Jess Rowe Big Talk Show is hosted by me, Jess Rowe. Executive producer, Nick McClure. She's a wonderful leopard lady. Audio imager, Nat Marshall. Supervising producer, Sam Kavanagh. Until next time, remember to live big. Life is just too crazy and glorious to waste time on the stuff that doesn't matter.